Hello there. My name is Father John Harrison. I am Rector Superior of St. John Newman Residence at Stella Maris in Timonium, Maryland. The difference be and the argument between Jesus and the Pharisees and the experts of the law which today's Gospel chapter relates are of tremendous importance, for they show us the very essence and core of the divergence between Jesus and the Orthodox Jew of his time. The question asked was, why do Jesus and his disciples not observe the tradition of the elders? What was this tradition, and what was its moving spirit? Originally for the Jew, the law meant two things. It meant first and foremost the Ten Commandments, and second, the first five books of the Old Testament, or as they are called, the Pentateuch. Now it is true that the Pentateuch contains a certain number of detailed regulations and instructions, but in the matter of moral questions, which is laid down, is a series of great moral principles which a man must interpret and apply for himself. For long the Jews were content with that, but in the 4th and 5th century before Christ, there came into being a class of legal experts whom we know now as the scribes. They were not content with great moral principles. They had what can only be called a passion for definition. They wanted these great principles amplified, expanded, broken down until they issued into thousands and thousands of little rules and regulations governing every possible action and every possible situation in life. These rules and regulations were not written down until long after the time of Jesus. They are what is called the oral law. It is they which are the tradition of the elders. The word elders does not mean in the phrase the officials of the synagogue. Rather, it means the ancients, the great legal experts of the old days, like Hillel and Shammai. Much later, in the third century after Christ, a summary of all these rules and regulations was made and written down, and that summary is known as the Mishnah. There are two aspects of these scribal rules and regulations which emerge in the argument in this passage. One is about the washing of hands. The scribes and Pharisees accused the disciples of Jesus of eating with unclean hands. The Greek word is koinos. Ordinarily, koinos means common. Then it comes to describe something which is ordinary in the sense that it is not sacred something that is profane as opposed to sacred things. And finally, it describes something, as it does here, which is ceremonially unclean and unfit for the service and worship of God. There were definite and rigid rules for the washing of hands. Note that this hand washing was not in the interest of hygienic purity. It was ceremonial cleanness which was at stake. Before every meal and between each of the courses, the hands had to be washed, and they had to be washed in a certain way. The hands, to begin with, had to be free of any coating of sand or mortar or gravel or any such substance. The water for washing had to be kept in special large stone jars so that it itself was clean in the ceremonial sense 
and so that it might contain what had been used for no other purpose, and that nothing had fallen into it or had been mixed with it. First the hands were held with fingertips pointing upwards. The water was poured over them and had to run down at least to the wrist. The minimum amount of water was one quarter of a log, which is equal to one and a half eggshells full of water. While the hands were still wet, each hand had to be cleansed with the fist of the other. That is what the phrase about using the fist means. The fist of one hand was rubbed into the palm and the, against the surface of the other. This meant that at this stage the hands were wet with water, but that water was now unclean because it, it had touched unclean hands. So next the hands had to be held with fingertips pointing downwards, and water had to be poured over them in such a way that it began at the wrist and ran off the fingertips. After all that had been done, the hands were clean. To fail to do this in Jewish eyes, not to be guilty of bad manners, not to be dirty in the health sense, but to be unclean in the sight of God. The man who ate with unclean water was subject to the attacks of a demon called Shibta. To omit so to wash the hands was to become liable to poverty and destruction. Bread eaten with unclean hands was not better than excrement. A rabbi who once omitted the ceremony was buried in excommunication. Another rabbi imprisoned by the Romans used the water given to him for hand washing rather than for drinking and in the end nearly perished of thirst because he was determined to observe the rules of cleanness rather than satisfy his thirst. That to the Pharisaic and scribal law was religion. It was ritual, ceremonial, and regulations like that which they considered to be the essence of the service of God. Ethical religion was buried under a mass of taboos and rules. The last verses of the passage deal further with this concept of uncleanness. A thing might be, in the ordinary sense, completely clean, and yet in the legal sense be unclean. There is something about this conception of uncleanness. Nowadays, we would talk rather of things about, uh, about things being taboo than of being unclean. Certain animals were unclean. A woman after childbirth was unclean. A leper was unclean. Anyone who touched a dead body was unclean. And anyone who had so become unclean made unclean anything that he in turn touched. The Gentile was unclean. Food touched by a Gentile was unclean. Any t vessel touched by a Gentile was unclean. So then, when a strict Jew returned from the marketplace, he immersed his whole body in clean water to take away the taint he might have acquired. Obviously, vessels could easily become unclean. They might be touched by an unclean person or by unclean food. This is what our passage means by the washing of cups and pitchers and vessels of bronze. In the Mishnah, there are no fewer than twelve treatises on this kind of uncleanness. If we take some actual examples, we will see how far this went. 
A hollow vessel made of pottery could con contract uncleanness inside, but not outside. That is to say, it did not matter who or what touched the outside, but it did matter what touched it inside. If it becomes uh, became unclean, it must be broken, and no broken piece must remain, which was big enough to hold enough oil to anoint the big toe. The flat plate without a rim could not become unclean at all, but a plate with a rim could. If vessels made of leather, bone, or glass were flat, they could not contract uncleanness at all. If they were hollow, they could become unclean outside and inside. If they were unclean, they must be broken, and the break must be a hole at least big enough for a medium-sized pomegranate to pass through. To cure uncleanness, unearthen, uh, earthen vessels must be broken. All other vessels must be immersed, boiled, purged with fire, and in case of metal, vessels unpolished. A three-legged table could contract uncleanness, but if it lost one or two legs, it could not. If it lost three legs, it could, for it, then it would be used as a board, and a board could become unclean. Things made of metal could become unclean, except for a door, a bolt, a lock, a hinge, a docker, and a gutter. Wood used in metal utensils could become unclean, but metal used in wooden utensils could not. Thus, a wooden key with metal teeth could become unclean, but a metal key with wooden teeth would, could not. We have taken some time over these scribal laws, the tradition of the elders, because that is what Jesus is up against. To the scribes and Pharisees, these rules and regulations were the essence of religion. To observe them was to please God, to break them was to sin. This was their idea of goodness and the service of God. In the religious sense, Jesus and these people spoke different languages. It is precisely because he had no use for all these regulations that they considered him a bad man. There is a fundamental cleavage here, a cleavage between man who sees religion as ritual, ceremonial, rules, and regulations, and the man who sees in religion loving God and loving his fellow man. That's our message for today. May God bless you and have a great day.